Amen. Maybe seated. Glad y'all are here tonight. Glad you made the effort to be here. We're going to continue our Bible study. We've been, we've been, I think, five or six, seven weeks in uh, how-tos on the highway to heaven. And we're looking at the journey between the point that we put our faith in Christ and the point that we're with Christ in eternity. Really, that could be uh, the journey of our lives as believers, our walk as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, in our study, we've looked at very relevant uh, real subjects, that's been my favorite part of our Bible study, um, subjects that we see, subjects that we deal with, uh, we've gone to God's Word to see what our answers are. It's been a great study so far, a couple of things we've looked at, we've looked at knowing God's will, uh, where do we get our roadmap, how do we know what to do, uh, how to respond, especially in these days. Uh, we've talked about some, some pretty uh, relevant, very, very timely things. We've talked about depression. Uh, what should a believer do with depression? We talked about anxiety. We talked about uh, guilt. Uh, the last time we met, we talked about loneliness and some of the causes for loneliness and what our response is as followers of Jesus Christ. Well, tonight we're going to talk about um, what I believe is a big deal subject. And, I, and I'm glad you're here. I believe this is a big, uh, big, big deal as a subject. And that is the subject of false teaching and false teachers. Uh, the Bible tells us, the Bible warns us uh, of these false teachings, of these false teachers. The Bible tells us, the Bible warns us of their danger. And we, we see really in Scripture that God detests them, actually says he abhors them. Uh, they exist in opposition to the truth of God. Now, it's an interesting thing uh, in, in the times we're living in the Bible says one of the measurements uh, that we're in the last days is uh, the frequency of false teachers and false teachings. The Bible says in the last days, uh, these things will pick up the pace. Uh, they will be rampant in these days. Now, there's something else that I was looking at today. Not only that, but in the last days, people will embrace false teaching. More than that, they'll even want They'll have a hunger for false teaching. The uh, Bible says it's going to lead many people to harm and to destruction. Well, let me just say, these are actually those days. False teachers are everywhere. It is rampant. People are actually looking, uh, clamoring for false teachers. And, and the damage is going to be already is tremendous. I can say, uh, look around the Internet, look around the culture. Um, churches are being led astray. People are are being led astray, and the damage is great. Well, tonight we're going to see what God says about false teachings and false teachers. What should we do uh, as followers of Jesus Christ? Now, our focal verses are going to come out of the book of Jude. Uh, you can turn there and stick your thumb there if you want, right before the end of the New Testament. Now, there are lots of verses we could look at. Sunday night we talked about uh, Jesus, the week of his Crucifixion talks about false teachers. Uh, we, could, we could look at a lot of verses, but our focal verses are going to come out of the book of Jude. Now, let's just go through some things. Let's move along um, and, and cover this topic. The first thing is this. The first thing to understand is this. What is false teaching? What is false teaching? That's a, a pretty important thing for us to understand if we're warned of it, if we're looking for the dangers of it, what is false teaching? Well, let me just say this. False teaching 
is any deviation from the truth. That's an important thing to understand. Any deviation from the truth. Any deviation from the truth. We're, we're, we're in our culture, uh, kind of willing to say, well, what if it's an insignificant amount? What if there's 98% of the truth here and only 2% of it's not true? Or what if it's a small amount? Or what if it seems to be in an insignificant area? You know what? We've got this on solid ground, but this area doesn't seem to be as significant. What if it's, what if it's just a small amount of false teaching? Well, let me give you an example here. Over here, I've got some water. Let me tell you about my water. This water came, didn't come through the city water system, didn't come from a truck that was in the sun bringing it in from Dallas. This came from a water well north of Vernon, Texas. Uh, after it came out of the water well, and this is the best tasting water, I think, in Vernon, uh, Marco has a, has a nose and a taste for water. He'll tell you this is the best water he's ever tasted. And talk to him after church. That's kind of weird, but he'll tell you that. Um, after it came out of that well, we ran it through a Culligan water system. And so it goes through the water system, and it's been purified. It's got this. So this is the best water out of the best well, and it's been run through a, a water filtration system. Now, if you'll read, you can Google it later. If you like water, and you're needing to be hydrated, there's actually a perfect temperature to drink water. It's between 42 and 46 degrees. Now, if it gets warmer than that, you don't want a bunch of it. If it gets colder than that, it can cause some issues as well. 42, 46 degrees. This, I checked it right before our class, is 44 degrees. This is the perfect temperature for water. Now, I've been sitting up here, and it's been hard. I think there might be an inch missing, but it's been hard not to drink a bunch of this water. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pour myself a little bit of the perfect water at the perfect temperature. And just to show you, it's all right. Let me, let me taste it. I wish y'all could have some of that. I wish y'all could. Brenda, would you mind helping me out? <laughs> she says, no, I don't want to, but she will. All right, she's heard all about our water. And it's, it's pretty awesome. But here's something else. Um, I was looking on the internet, and the internet has all the good stuff on it. And there is a new health kick that says the slobber of dogs contains the perfect mix of vitamins, minerals, and enzymes uh, to produce great health for you. <laughs> well, this was this said the slobber of a dog. If you could get it out, has has vitamins, has minerals, it has enzymes, and it is good for your health. So I got we have a bunch of dogs. I got this dog, um, and I just started squeezing his mouth, kind of running it down, and I got some of his slobber. Now I need to tell you a little bit about him. About two weeks ago, he got in a mess with a porcupine. And it stuck in his gum, and I got as many as I could, but he started to bite me, so I left a couple in there. And one of them got very infected, but I figured there's probably got to be antibiotics in that. That's got to be a good thing. And so I couldn't get that one out, and it, got a, it made a big boil, and then it, it was draining. And I looked it up. That's a good thing that it drains. And then it finally burst. He had a, a real hot fever on that side of his face. But I did get this much slobber out of his 
out of his mouth. And so this is, this is that. And the internet says that's good. And so let me do this right here. That is one tablespoon of feverish dog slobber. Just one tablespoon. But I want to offer you a glass of this. Uh, it's still that good water, and it's still out of the filtration system. Would you like a glass? You don't have to. You don't want one. Okay, that's all right. Thank you. Thank you. Here's the point to that. How much mistruth, non-truth, distortion of the truth will mess up the truth? And I'm going to tell you, it's the exact same picture of what we just looked at right here. Any, any mistruth, non-truth, deviation from the truth is not the truth and is going to result in some mix like that. It is, it is that imperative. Any deviation from the truth will result in a, in a mess of the truth. Um, the God, God says in his, in his word that his word is truth. John chapter 17 says that. And, and so uh, our premise really for the whole Bible study has been we're going to God's truth. You want to know what to do with depression? Go to God's truth. Well, on this subject, we're going to go to God's truth. And so we see here tonight, false teaching is any deviation from the truth. We ought to be that clear. Well, is it a little bit okay? Well, I have some water up here if you think it is. Is it a little bit okay? No, it is any deviation from the truth. Now, from there, let me ask you the question. So what is the harm? Is there any harm in false teaching, in false teachers proclaiming false things. What is the harm? Uh, well, let me, let me point this out. And I, and I found uh, really two things uh, that, that are harmed in, in false teaching. The first thing is this. If you are lost, false teaching will keep you from finding Christ. If you do not know Jesus, if you are lost, false teaching will keep you from finding Jesus. Now think about that. If we are saved in the truth, if the truth is what sets us free, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if it's embracing the truth that saves us, if there is a distortion in the truth, a change of the truth, or a hiding of the truth, we will miss Jesus Christ. That is Satan's plan. It's always been his plan. So false teaching, if you are lost, will hinder you, keep you from finding Christ, and you'll remain lost. Now, the second thing is this. If you are saved, it will impede your walk with Christ. It will hinder, it will stall out, it will slow your walk with Christ. And, 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 and any false teaching, any false truth will mess up your Christian walk. So let me just show you this. False teaching is a problem if you are saved or if you're not saved. Now, I want you to think about the condition of mankind. Saved and not saved, that's the whole condition of mankind. What that means is this, false teaching is always an issue. It'll keep you from finding Christ. It'll heed and mess up your walk with Christ. So how often should we be worried about false teaching? We should always be worried about false teaching. Well, we're all saved here. Is that, isn't that okay? We're all going to heaven. Any false teaching causes a problem. It is always a danger. It is always 
a big deal. Before you find Christ, it's a big deal. After you find Christ, it is a big deal. All right, we're going to go to the book of Jude. We're going to look at some verses. I'd encourage you, it's a very short book. Read the entire book. Jude is written by the half-brother of Jesus. It is written during the apostolic era, during the time that the apostles are alive and are teaching. Uh, It is probably, we're not sure of the date, but it's probably written uh, after the death of Peter. And so first and second Peter has been written. And so it's probably uh, after that time. And it is written, go read it, to address false teachers and false teaching. Uh, They were impacting the church. They were springing up in the church. And so this letter is written to talk about false teachers and false teaching. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Very early on, false teaching is an issue. The apostles have not all died by this point. Uh, the, The canon of Scripture is not even assembled and closed at this point. There are people walking around Uh, who could be witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is that early, and there's already false teachers springing up. How much more so today? And so very early in the life of the church, it is an issue, so much so that Jesus' half-brother writes the book of Jude. God addresses it. All right, next thing we look at. What form uh, does false teaching take? Our goal tonight is to be able to identify it, to know the danger of it, and then to know what to do about it. So so a a pretty good question is what form does false teaching take? Um, There are two things, uh, two two distinctions here. Let me read uh, Jude verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Verse four lays out the problem. These false teachers have shown up. They have crept in, listen to the language, and they are teaching two things. So see this, there are two forms, uh, two distortions that happen in false teaching. Let me tell you what they are. I thought about this. I I wrote it out. I mapped it out. I tried to find a third division. I couldn't find a third division. Every form of false teaching will fall under these two headings. The first is this. The first form of false teaching leads people to be comfortable in sin. Leads people to be comfortable in sin. That word licentiousness It it means license to sin. It's okay for me to sin. It uses the the truth of God's grace to say, you know what, it's it's okay if we sin. God is gracious to us. He forgives sin. And so it's okay if I sin, he's going to forgive that sin. If I stay in this sin, God will understand it. He'll have to deal with it. And it's okay for me to sin. And so it leads us not to feel bad about sin. It leads us not to feel guilt about sin. It leads us not to feel the need to repent and to turn around and to leave sin. Now think about that. All of those things, don't care about sin, not worried about sin. I'm fine to stay in sin. I'm not going to address sin. 
What do those things do? They make me have a lower value of the Savior for sinners. You know, if I'm not worried about sin, I don't care about a remedy for sin. Jesus. You know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not too worried about sin and God's going to deal with it and it's on his deal, I'm not so thankful for the salvation we have in Jesus. It really changes the value that we give to Jesus. Now, think about this. God's going to forgive whatever we do. Well, I've heard these things. At least I'm not doing what I once was doing. You ever heard everybody say that? I, I'm not doing what I once was doing. Here's one that we like to say, maybe as Baptists, at least I'm not doing what they're doing. I'm not doing what they're doing. Or sometimes I've done worse than this. At least I'm doing better than I was doing. Here's the fact. Listen very carefully. Sin is always a big deal. Sin is always an affront against God. Sin is always a rebellion against God. Jesus died for every sin, our sin. That's what puts him on the cross. God hates sin. He can have no fellowship, no part of sin. Sin is always a big deal. So here's, here's one shape of false teaching. It makes folks comfortable in sin. There's, there's, there's churches all over the place, and they'll say this. We're not going to talk about sin. Uh, there's a preacher. He's, he's famous, and he says, talking about sin is not our thing. And so we're going to stay in our lane, and we'll let someone else talk about sin. We're not going to talk about sin. Leading folks to be fine with sin, comfortable with sin, in any shape, form, or fashion, that's one branch of false teaching. The second form of false teaching is false teaching that distorts the truth of Jesus. And that's what that verse says. They have denied our master, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of them says, um, there's a distortion of grace. We're not going to worry about, about sin. And the other one changes the truth of Jesus, distorts the truth of Jesus. Now, let me, let me just give you some, some examples here. The Muslims admire Jesus. They do not deny Jesus in, in their idea. They think he is a great prophet of, Maha, of God, of Allah. So they have a different idea of Jesus. The Mormons, uh, they believe in Jesus, the Church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints. They steal all of our words. They believe that Jesus was a man who became a God and who's one of many gods, and you can follow him and be a God yourself. They have the wrong idea, the wrong truth of Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses, they do not believe Jesus is God. The Hindus, they believe Jesus is one of many gods. You can go talk to a Hindu folks and say, you know what, what here's Jesus, here's, here's our Savior. They say, good, we like him and these 200 other gods with him. And so he's just one of many gods. There's others that would say, Jesus was a great teacher, Gandhi. He's a great teacher. Uh, there's others that make Jesus some kind of a mystical, um, mystical person or some kind of a supernatural, a superstitious, pagan form of Jesus. Any idea of Christ that is not our Savior, Jesus, is a false teaching. And so the second branch of false teaching, one of them changes the idea of sin. The other one changes the idea of who our Savior Jesus Christ is. And I think all forms of false teaching are going to fall under one or maybe both of those headings. It's either going to change the person of Christ 
or it's going to change and diminish our understanding of sin. All right, so we're warned about it. We see what it is. Here's the question now. So what do we do about false teaching? Jude, verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now, it's amazing how much meaning can be in just so a few of a set of words. I was going to write to you about our common salvation, but I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Right, so here's what the Bible says. We are to contend earnestly for the faith. Now, the word contend earnestly is actually one Greek word. If you go to the original language, it's one Greek word that the root of that word means to agonize. It means to be urgent, to be aggressive, to be diligent in the effort to hold fast or to preserve. And so listen, you're to be urgent in defending the faith that we believe. You're to be aggressive. You're to be diligent. That word agonize, sometimes we think, well, agonizing is a bad thing. No, listen, sometimes you ought to agonize about how you're going to raise your kids. You ought to agonize about how you're going to order your finances. You ought to agonize the condition of what your home looks like. And so it's all right sometimes to be aggressive, urgent, and diligent in an effort. Well, when it comes to the faith that we hold, we're to contend earnestly for it. Now, those words, I, I like them because they're not passive. The Bible teaches us as individuals and we as the church that we are to be involved in, that we're to be committed to the defending and the preserving and the preaching and the proclaiming of the truth. We are stewards of the truth. You know what? You can't just stay home and say, you know what? Somewhere the truth is going to stay uh, protected. Our job as individuals, we're to be stewards of the church, uh, of the truth. The Bible says the church. We're to be pillars of the truth. We're to be protectors of the truth. And it is an aggressive thing. It is not a passive thing. Jude says here, don't let this slip. Contend for the faith. Be aggressive. Be, be active in it. Contend for the faith. Now, let me show you something else in that verse 3. It says, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Our current world can't stand this part of the verse. Many churches today are caving on this understanding of the verse. Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. What that means is our faith, the truth we hold, was handed down to us. Now, let me try and explain that to you. The gospel, the truth, the truth about the gospel, our faith, now here's a word no one likes anymore, but I, I'm going to use it, our doctrine, doctrine just means biblical truth, correct truth. Our doctrine, our faith, our gospel, the truth what this verse says, it was not invented. 
It was, it was not devised. There weren't a bunch of religious guys that went somewhere and said, let's figure out a gospel. It, it was not assembled. Here's five things. Let's put them together and build a religious system. Our truth, our gospel, our doctrine was not devised. It was not assembled. It was revealed by God. That's what this verse is saying. It is given to us by God. All right, our truth, where do we get it? We didn't sit around and make it up. We didn't devise it. God revealed it to us, gave it to us. We have it in his word. Therefore, and let me, let me stack on top of that. Our faith, we didn't build it. We didn't invent it. It was revealed to us by God. Therefore, listen very carefully. Therefore, it is not altered or it is not updated or it is not changed. It is not made politically correct because it is settled and fixed because God gave it to us. See how that circle works? Man, there's whole denominations now saying, well, we're revisiting the definition of marriage. We're revisiting gender, the understanding of a man and a woman. We're revisiting what God calls a sin. And, and folks are trying to update the word of God. And, and, and folks are trying, you know what, it's a different time. And, and God's word adapts. And I, and, I hear, and I hear folks saying all versions of that. Here's the deal. It was given to us by God. We didn't invent it. Because he gave it to us, it is fixed, it is settled in him. We're not adapting it. We're not making the culture happy with it. It is what it is because God has given to it, it to us and it is fixed in him. Now, that's a huge thing. Let me just tell you this. That is why when somebody comes along and says, we have a fresh word, we have a new word, we have an update, on the old word. I've had folks come and they say, God's doing a new thing. God's doing a new thing. Now, the old thing's not popular anymore. He's doing a new thing. Um, Bill Johnson and all, and all the kooks that fall into his camp, we're speaking as God now. Bethel Church, we're speaking as God now. The office of apostles opened again. We're speaking God's truth again. Those are dangerous things because the word of God wasn't invented it was given to us by God, and it's fixed and settled in God. It's not changing. All right, so we're to contend earnestly for it. Now, how, we're going to keep moving along. How, how can you tell, how can you identify a false teacher? Now, these are all going all to fit together. Um, I'll just tell you, they're everywhere. Uh, they have pulpits. Some of them are respected. Uh, some of them have huge followings. Uh, some of them are, are, are highly acclaimed. How can you, if you're trying not to follow a false teacher, identify a false teacher? Well, just from Jude, I pulled out a few things. These aren't all of the things, but these are some of the ways that you would identify a false teacher. Let me give them to you. This is out of Jude. Let me turn to verse 16. The end of verse 16 says this, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Here's the first way you can tell a false teacher. They flatter others in, an, in a move of self-interest, in a move of self-promotion. That's the end of verse 16. 
Um, I will tell you what you want to hear. I'll tell you what you want to hear, and you'll bring more people to my church. I'll tell you what you want to hear, and, and you'll tell others that this is a great preacher. And so I will, I will flatter you in an attempt to be, to be raised up, self-promotion. I'm going to give you an example, and, and some of you might not like it. The world doesn't like it. I'm going to give it to you anyway. There's a movement that's about five years old. It's all over T-shirts, bumper stickers, and Mardell's that says this. You're enough. You heard that lately? You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. Do you know how you can get a big crowd? You say, you're enough. You're enough. Hey, you come back next week, you're enough. Get a bigger tithe, you're really enough. You're enough. You're enough. You can build a big movement. You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. The, the Christian music, you're enough. Christian books, go to the bookstore, you're enough. Do you know what a lie is? A lie is that you're enough. You are not enough, you need a Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you think you're enough, you're going to go out and you're going to crash and you're going to burn and you're going to hit walls and you're going to wonder how in the world I ever get here. I don't feel like enough. And yet the woman that charged me $99 for the ticket to go to her, her revival said, you're enough. It is a lie. It is a lie. You know what the Bible said long before we started filling up call centers for $99 tickets? You will flatter others for self-promotion. That's the end of verse 16. Here's another one. They will have ungodly lust. How do you identify a false teacher? They will have ungodly, un, un, unchristlike, ungodly lust. That word is used eight times in this little tiny book. Now, what that means is they will have a lifestyle that doesn't match the message that we preach as Christians. Their lifestyle won't match it. Now, listen to this. Every person sins. Your preacher will sin. Your pastor will sin. Your favorite Sunday school teacher, they will sin. That's the truth. We sin. But this is talking about the pattern of their life. This is talking about the movement of their life, their lifestyle, their actions, their responses, their, their words, their language, their tempers will not match the message that we preach as followers of Jesus Christ. They'll have a lot of excuses. Well, they were in the flesh. Well, you can't, whatever, you can't hold them to that standard all the time. Well, here's the deal. The pattern of their life will not match the, the message we preach. Here's another one. Verse 16 says this. They will speak arrogantly. It means they will be prideful. They will be arrogant. How do you know if you have a false teacher? They will be arrogant. They're going to brag on themselves. They're going to do things that pop, puff them up, that push them up. Their language may be condemning to you in an, in an effort to pick themselves up. Their language will be arrogant. And so we have, they'll flatter others for self-interest. They will have ungodly lust. Their, their life won't match their message. They will be arrogant. Here's another one. The end of verse 19 says, they will be worldly minded. I just said this. They will be worldly what that means is there's two systems, the world system and God's system. They love to operate in the world system. They're materialistic. They might have a $50 million jet, might have three of them. They might have cars that we can't afford. They're going to love the things of the world. They're going to love the pleasures of the world. They're going to love the entertainment of the world. And so you're going to see them, and they're going to look like a rock star, 
And the friends they're going to hang around with, they're going to look like rock stars. And they're going to ride in, in cars that, that, that look like rock stars. And they are going to be immersed in the things of the world. They love the things of the world. All right, here's another one, verse 19. They will be devoid of the Spirit. It, it translates empty of the Spirit. So they, they live in a way that doesn't match the message. They're arrogant. They build people up so they'll have self-promotion. They're worldly. They're devoid of the Spirit. What does that mean? Let me, let me explain that. If a person's full of the Holy Spirit, when you're saved, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're submitting to the Holy Spirit, you're walking in his leadership, the Bible says what is evident in a believer is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things that a Spirit-filled person evidences. If, if I go outside and look for a pecan tree and I find a pecan, and that's a pecan, and I open up, and that's a pecan. You know what I'm thinking? That's a pecan tree. Well, when you find a follower of Christ, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Just go down the list. Self-control. Those are the things that are evident. But when you find a person, you know what? No self-control. No love, no joy, no kindness. If those things are the fruit out of that person, you're dealing with a false teacher. They're devoid of the spirit. And here's the last one. And again, this isn't an, an exhaustive list. This is just the list I get out of these verses. The last one is they cause division. These are ones who cause division is what verse 19 says. They cause division. Now what that means is if you follow this person around or these people, they leave a pattern of wreckage behind them. There are splits. There are factions. There are feuds. There are super spiritual people and not spiritual people. There are haves and there are have-nots. These people deal in divisiveness, and behind them there's wreckage and trouble and chaos that follow them. Those are the indications. Those are the symptoms of a false teacher. That's what Jude tells us. All right, so what do we do? What do we do? We're to contend earnestly for the faith. We have to do something. We're not gonna be passive in this. Let me tell you, we have some problems in the church today because we haven't been active in this, because we've let that drop. We have to be active in this. So four things that we do, four things that we must do to contend earnestly for the faith. Let me read verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. All right, four things we do out of verses 20 and 21. All right, we see the danger of a false teacher. We know how to identify a false teacher. Now, what do we do to contend earnestly for our faith? Four things. First is this. It says, build yourself up. Building yourself up. That word in the original language means to strengthen. It actually means to make solid. 
If you live long enough, you've already figured this out. I think probably everybody's figured this out. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be things you don't understand. There's going to be things you don't want. They're going to come crashing into you at 90 miles an hour. You have to have a faith that is solid. Oh, I don't like that. I don't understand that. But it, it, it is solid and it stands. And so we're to be made solid. We're to be strengthened. Here's, here's what I've said, I think, for seven lessons now. There's one way that that happens. Maybe by the time we finish this lesson, we'll be proficient in this. Time spent in the Word of God. Time spent in the Word of God. Time spent in the Word of God. You have to actively be in the Word of God. You have to read the Word of God, the Bible. You have to be where it's taught Wednesday night. You have to be where you hear it in sermons Sunday you have to be actively taking in the word of God. And I'll just say this, something I've been saying for a couple of years, we have to be inordinately, crazily in the word of God. However much time you're spending on Facebook, times five in the word of God. How much time we watch the, the basketball tournament, times 10 in the word of God. We have to be inordinately in the word of God. Notice there, it is active. It is building yourself up. It is continual it doesn't let up. It's the idea of putting gas in your tank. If you filled your car up with gas right here and you said, we're driving to Florida, you know what? You're cooking by the time you hit Dallas and you're having a big time listening to the radio by the time you get to Shreveport. You know what's going to happen before you get to Mississippi? <laughs> and that, that ride's going to be over. You have to be putting it in and putting it in and putting it in. And let me just tell you this. I'm the preacher of the church. As fast as you quit putting it in, you start going back the other way. Your old language comes back. Your old temper comes back. Your old thought patterns come back. It has to be continually put in. So the first thing is this. If you're going to stand against the false teaching of the world, you have to know the word of God. Here's the deal. We talked about this um, for this afternoon a couple different times. There are so many false teachings today. I would like to give you a cheat sheet and say, here's four pages of false teaching. Here's the name. Here's what it's called. And if you see it and hear these words, then you know you've got a false teacher. False teaching, false message. Did you know I can't make that list because it's getting too big? If I were to try to make a list of false teaching, I can't make the list I can start right now. We don't have time. Y'all are going to want to go home in a little while. I can't make you the list of false teachings and false teachers. So how do you know? Here's the deal. There's only one way to know the truth, to know the truth. I can't tell you all the false things, but we can be so proficient in the truth that I know the false thing just like that. I heard this story. I don't know because I don't, I don't handle much money. Carrie keeps it all away from me. They say at a bank, some of you may know this if you work in a bank, that there's counterfeits that come all through all the time. I was watching the Herring Bank, I guess had some last week. Um, there's counterfeits coming through all the time. And they have that marking test, they'll pass that sometimes. Um, the, the counterfeits are coming through. And I heard that the way they train a teller and the way there's value in a teller is that they've handled so much real money that the false money feels fake. And so you bring them the false money. 
I don't know the 700 counterfeits going on right now. I don't know what basement this was printed in, but I know what the real feels like, and so I identify the, the fake. Kelly, you want to help me out? You could potentially win a dollar, so it might be worth it. Face out, put both hands out, close your eyes. I trust you. You have to trust me too because I'm like, all right, here are $2. One of them is real. One of them we printed on the copy machine and then the copy machine told us it was illegal. But we, we printed this on the copy machine. But it, it's, it's pretty close. It looks pretty good. I'm going to put one of these in both of your hands and you can have one of them. All right? So one of them is real, one of them is fake. I'm not going to try to tell you that one of them is not. One of them is real, one of them is fake. And you can have one of them. And you can, you can fill them, shut your hand. That's in one hand, that's in the other hand. You can fill them, take your time. We're not in a hurry. A dollar's a big deal. That's the one you want. You sure? Now, this one may have just come from the bank. It may be new over there. You went that one. All right, you got the real dollar. <laughs> Jackie, this one's yours. <laughs> you have to know the truth. We can't go and figure out all the false teachings that are going to be hitting this. We have to know the truth. So someone says, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. We can say, let me tell you, about 20 verses says he did. Well, Jesus, it wasn't a physical resurrection. Let me tell you why 1 Corinthians 15 says it's imperative that it was a real resurrection. Well, he wasn't born of a virgin. Let me tell you why the Bible says that he was and why it's a big deal. The only way you're going to know the faults is to know the real so carefully that it just stands out to you. So the first thing is this. We have to be inordinately in the word of God. If you get anything, man, you got to be in your Bible. It's hard work. You're tired when you get home. You're in a hurry when you get up in the morning. You have to be in the word of God. You gotta be memorizing it. You gotta be reading it. Our kids last week, their memorization verses, they were spouting those verses off. And I thought, you know what? If we miss everything, but the word of God goes into them, someday they'll be 22 years old and the world's gonna come from them and they'll say, thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you and it will carry them along. We have to be inordinately in the word of God. Second thing we have to do is this. From those verses, we have to pray. We have to pray. This is starting to sound like a Sunday school answer. We have to pray. We have to ask God for wisdom. If you need wisdom, ask, God, is this a lie? God, is this your truth? God, is this what this really means? God, should I be aware of this? Seek his guidance. Ask him for wisdom. It says, pray in the spirit. I want to say this for just a second. Praying in the spirit is not some magical form of prayer there's not just praying, and then when you're serious, praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit means in the leading of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. And so I'm praying, listening, and, and I'm praying in his direction, and I'm led by his word, and I'm praying, God, show me, reveal me to me, give me discernment, give me wisdom, help me in this process. All right, the third thing is this, stay close. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I could have said it several different ways, but here's what I said. Stay close. You have to stay close to Christ. You have to walk with him. You, when, when he says do something, you need, you need to walk in obedience. You need to hear his voice. How you recognize him is because you've spent 
time with him, and, and we have to walk closely with him. Obedience, trust, faithfulness, time spent. We have to stay close to Christ. A lot of the folks that I see get fooled are oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes people that have been drifting around. Got out of it, hadn't listened to it, hadn't read it, not sure of it, kind of feel bad about it, and then all of a sudden some false teacher shows up and says, you're enough, and you say, I like that message, and you go that way. We have to stay close, stay close. And then the fourth thing is this, we have to keep perspective. We have to keep perspective. Verse 21 says this, keep yourselves in the love of God, listen to this, waiting anxiously, anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. What that means is we, we have to keep the perspective that Jesus is coming again very soon. I think if we knew, I say it, but I think if we knew how soon it was, we'd be pretty, we'd be pretty nervous going home. It, it could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. What about your kids that don't know Christ? What about your neighbor that doesn't know Christ? We have to keep an, an anxious perspective. Jesus is coming again. He is coming again very soon. Well, what about these things? Well, how does it weigh up with him coming again? What priorities do we chase? How does it match up with the fact he is coming again? We have to keep the perspective that Jesus is coming again. Our world's gone so crazy so quickly, last two years, maybe last two months, but last two years, that I could, I could get mad and I could stay mad. I could get discouraged and I could stay discouraged. I have to wake up every day and say this. Jesus is coming again very soon. He has not changed. He has not left us. And those folks that do not know Jesus Christ will perish outside of him. What truly matters today? We have to keep that perspective. I used to listen to some of the nonsense preached. And I would say, it doesn't matter, does it? Who cares if they're, if they're off in that area? Who cares if they're fudging a little in this area? Here's what I've become convinced of. From the very first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation, this is the gospel of my Savior, Jesus Christ. This is his truth. And you know what? If you're going to fudge over here or distort it over here, we ought to, that ought to get our ire up. We ought to have no room for false teachers or false teaching. You know why? Because people will get hurt and folks will miss our Savior, Jesus Christ. We contend earnestly for the faith that has been handed down to us. I'm glad you are here tonight. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to lead us in word of prayer. I'm glad you are here. If you want a glass of water, it's up here when you leave. Let's pray. During Father, we come, and I'm thankful for your truth. And I'm thankful for the truth that will stand. I'm thankful for the truth that can be scrutinized. I'm thankful for the truth that though the world rejects it, hates it, and calls it ignorant, that leads to the Savior that says, I am the truth, Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that we have hope tonight. I'm thankful we have peace tonight. I'm thankful that our foundation tonight is not rattled. I'm thankful for our anchor that it is held. And so I pray as we live in these crazy, wonky, false teaching-filled days, I pray that we would know your truth. I pray that we would seek your wisdom. And I pray as a people we would contend earnestly for the faith once and finally handed down to us, Lord, to your glory.
for your glory. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.